We're going to be back in Hebrews again today, so turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, and we will be going over a little bit at the end of chapter 3, kind of go back over some things we did last week, and then we'll get into chapter 4. And we were talking about verse 14, and it says, For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now that places a condition on being made partakers. Because we know that we can't do anything to earn our salvation, right? We, we can't do anything that we can be proud of, that we can talk about, you know, I deserve this because I did this and I did that. We, we have to make sure that we understand that we don't do anything that would contribute to our salvation. But once we are confident in what Jesus has done for us and we are saved, we have to continue to believe. It's real simple. We have to continue to believe that thing that we heard, that gospel message that we heard, we believed on it, and we understand that Jesus did it all, and when then we are made partakers of Christ. And then we have to hold on to that belief. Last week we talked about the story that uh, the writer of Hebrews went back to the provocation. And that provocation was that time when the nation of Israel had been reminded that they... This, this, all this right here in Hebrews is reminding the people that are so confident because they are the chosen nation. They are the Israelites, and they look back on their history, and they think they're special. But this is, this is also for everybody, not just the nation of Israel, because we know what the Old Testament says, hopefully. Hopefully we get into our Bibles and we read about all of what happened in the Old Testament. And we know it and then we, we get here and we're trying to enter into that rest that Jesus, the, the rest as in ceasing to work for your salvation. That is, that is one way to say that we enter into a rest. But we got to understand that the, the rest that the Bible talks about is it's in pretty much three different phases. We enter a rest when we are saved because we don't have to worry about the penalty of the sins in our life. It's gone. That's a rest that we enter into. But there is a rest also in, in really believing it and casting off those burdens that would hold us down and keep us from doing the things that God wants us to do in our Christian walk. 
That's another type of rest. If you, if you know the story of Pilgrim's Progress, if you ever read the book, you know, Christian had that huge weight of all those sins in his life that were on his back. And when he really truly understood what true salvation was, those things fell off. But you can be reminded of those things. Even though God doesn't remember them anymore, you can allow those things that you've done in the past because though your sins have been forgotten and taken away, the consequences of those things that you've done in the past will stick to you, the consequences. And you may be living uh, in your life handicapped because of the consequences of the sins of the past. And the devil can keep coming at you and saying, you're not good enough, you can't do this for God because of look at what you've done in the past. Now, that's not allowing the rest to be in the rest of Jesus because you're allowing those things from the past to keep you from doing things for God today. But there is a future rest because I can show you, in, in America, it's not that bad. It, we think it's bad here. We, we, people are being persecuted here, but nothing like they are in other parts of the world. So you can go over to another part of the world and you can have a salvation message. They want to believe it, they do believe it, and they kind of, people in China put us to shame. People in Africa put us to shame because they are actually risking their lives. I've know, I know of a missionary who, would, who was going to, uh, I think it was Thailand, and while he was there for many years, no one could talk about what he did there because if the word got back that there was a missionary in that land, they would start trying to find him. So he literally had to be secret about everything he did there. And I can't, I, I'm pretty sure it was Thailand. But anyway, people will be killed for faith in Jesus Christ. They might live their whole Christian life never actually being able to rest in their Christian walk because they're always watching to see who's coming after them. They have to be so careful because they can literally be put to death. So you, but, but inside of them, knowing what the future holds for them if they stay in the faith is true rest. And that's what uh, Hebrews is going to try to get across to you as we read uh, into chapter 4. Okay, 15 of 3. While it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, which is an actual event that happened to the nation of Israel. It has to do with Meribah, where Moses hit the rock to supply the water, and that, and that whole story. Okay, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but, but with whom, this is a question, but with whom was he grieved forty years? 
was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Most of us know that story very well. They were unbelieving. They had seen the miracles. They were shown all the plagues of Egypt. They saw it. They were delivered out of bondage. They walked through the Red Sea. Manna fell from heaven. Water came out of a rock. They have seen all of these miracles of God. And they still were unbelieving that God could take them all the way to the promised land. We read our Bibles and we see all the great things that God has offered to us but if we don't believe it, that God is, going, God is going to carry it all the way through to the end, and when we get to the end of things and we die, we're in heaven. And we finally get there. But we have this sense of unbelief, just like they did. So even though we've seen all of these things, are we actually believing it? 18 of of chapter 3, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. The 12 spies that went over, the majority had a negative report. 10 said we can't go there. There's too many giants in the land. There's too much for us to overcome. And only Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, what they're saying is true. There's giants there. There's all kinds of difficulty there. But we're God's people. And God has already told us we're supposed to go there. God promised to Father Abraham that it's ours. We need to... Because you know what? When you walk through your Christian walk, here on this earth, you see all kinds of things that will discourage you. You see the darkness around. You see that uh, the more effort that we as Christians put into things, things seem to get worse. Because the Bible tells us that there's going to be a great falling away. There's going to be all kinds of people, as time goes on and on and on, people are so impatient. Peter talks about how with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. In 2 Peter 3, 9, I wrote, I wrote, this is what I wrote down at the jail Tuesday as I was listening to Cameron preach. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. See, that's right about the time where he was talking about to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So we, if we think of a thousand years, that seems forever because we only live a very small percentage of a thousand years. But to the Lord, that's nothing. A thousand years is nothing. He's not concerned about time. He's been here forever. He'll be here forever. But men start to look at this time that has gone by, and we get less and less motivated to continue on as a a people. 
So the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody. But like in the days of Noah, why did the flood take so long to happen? Because God was long-suffering. Noah worked on that boat for so long. And as he worked on it, he was ridiculed for it. So as we walk through our Christian life, you can be sure that people are going to ridicule you for believing in Jesus. The Bible said, you you say the Bible says that Jesus is coming back. Well, where is he? He hasn't come back yet. It's only been a couple thousand years. So in God's eyes, it's only been a couple days. But yet we are so impatient. And he's long-suffering to all of us because he doesn't want any to perish. All right, let's get into chapter 4. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Not being mixed with faith. Not being mixed with faith. So, they heard the words. They heard it all. Noah preached, but it wasn't mixed with faith. There are so many people that preach the Word of God, and it's a great message, but it's not mixed with faith, and it does no good. It seems like it does no good. Three, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. That was a long time ago. And he, he, we just read today. we got to treat every day like it's the last day. You know, the people who were ridiculing Noah, some of them did it the day the flood started. That was the last day. We don't know if today is the last day. It might be another thousand years from now, but we don't know. Four, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Now, that, so we have, to, we have to rightly divide. There are different rests. God rested, even though he didn't need to, from the six days of fixing this earth. You know, when we open up our Bibles, you open up your Bible, if you're brand new, you have never even, you didn't know there was a Bible, and somebody handed you one, and you open it up. I need to read this. Okay, you open it up, and the earth is in this terrible state. There's chaos, darkness, it's void, completely flooded. What happened to cause that? 
And then God starts to, he brings light. He just said, let there be light. And he starts to fix everything. So people say, it, people say it's the six days of creation when there's hardly any creating going on. Now, it makes a statement at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I think singular heaven means uh, the universe that the earth is in. It's just a simple statement that in the beginning, God created it. And then you can go to other parts of the Bible. It says that when he created it, it was perfect. You can see where he asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? When all the angels of heaven shouted for joy when I did it. So there's all kinds of places in the Bible where I can show you where when God created, everything was good, but then something happened to cause the earth to be in a, a horrible shape. And the six days of what we call the six days of creation was actually God fixing things that were messed up. Something happened. So in this fixing of the earth, God rested at the end of that on the seventh day. And we are to take a, a principle of that in our lives where we do things for six days and we should have a day off. That's just, it's not law for us as believers, but it's a really, really good principle to follow. We should all have a day off. Now, there are people who want to be law keepers, and they, they do it because it's law. And they won't work on a Sunday, or some people that really know their Bibles, they understand that the Sabbath is Saturday. Sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday, and they won't work on Saturday because they're trying to keep the Jewish Sabbath, which Christians are never told to do. And you can, you can disagree with me on that, but as far as the principle behind it, I think it's a great idea, wonderful idea. You know, there, there are certain places of business that will not open up on a Sunday. Think about Chick-fil-A. We hear Chick-fil-A a lot because we have, you know, a person here that works there, and we have Ilona who comes in from time to time that uh, works there, and they talk about it. As far as fast food restaurants in America, they probably make so much more money in six days than any other. I'm talking about individually because Let's just take Salem, for example. You have a McDonald's that overall might make the most money because there's so many of them in the world. But I'm talking about that individual store seven days a week compared to the one store that only is open six days a week that honors the seventh day that everybody should have a day off. That's a God-honoring principle. And they, by far make more money than any other individual place because they do it for that purpose. Truett Cathy, that was his reasoning behind it. So God will honor you by keeping his principles, and your, if your reason behind it is so that everybody can go to church and have family time 
and, and have a day set apart for the Lord, if that's the reason you won't open your business up on a Sunday, God is going to honor that. You know, they, they, in Israel, they would plant a field and plant it and harvest it for six years. And that field, after six years of, of planting and harvesting, they would let it rest for a year. The seventh year, that field would rest. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't put anything on it. And they would let it recoup. And then, the, then the, after one year, of, they would come back and, and plant that field again. So even the land was given an opportunity to rest, as far as the nation Israel was concerned. We can learn some very good things from the principles of living the way God uh, showed His people to live. We just got to be careful not to make a law out of it and do it because we're trying to please God but we should just know that it's a good idea to do. That's something, you, it's a fine line there. Got to be really careful. All right, so that's, that's a rest. I'm going to read four. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Five, and in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. I mean, it sounds like I'm saying the same thing over. I'm, just, I'm reading down through here, but you see unbelief over and over again. And then seven, again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today after so long a time as it is said, today if ye will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. Now, I jumped down to that verse last week just to show you about Psalm 95 and who wrote it. The Holy Spirit uh, showed us here in Hebrews 4, 7 that David did, in fact, write that uh, psalm. Now, here's a controversial verse. Verse 8. If you're reading along, it says, For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Does anybody know why that's controversial? Do, you, do you have a, anybody have a newer version of the Bible? If you do, Jesus is not going to be there. It's going to say Joshua. The King James Bible has Jesus right here. But in all the new translations, it'll say Joshua. Because it is talking about Joshua in a sense, but it's also talking about Jesus as well. Now, what is, in, in the Old Testament, the, the name Joshua, you know how Elijah in the Old Testament is Elias in the New Testament? Joshua in the Old Testament would be Jesus in the New Testament if you followed that same way of translating the name. Joshua, uh, Joshua. I mean, that would be Jesus's... If you went to Israel and heard the name, somebody say that name, it would sound more like Joshua than it would sound like Jesus. Some, and, and, and people in, in America, I've heard people try to say it, and they'll say, Yahshua. And they don't even say it right. But if you listen to an Israelite say it, it would sound very much like Joshua. If you ever watch the movie... The Passion of the Christ. I heard there's a new, there's a sequel coming out. But if you go back and watch The Passion, 
they speak in Hebrew and Aramaic in the movie. If you've ever watched it, you've got to read the bottom of the screen to, to understand what they're saying. And when somebody uh, says the name Jesus, you'll, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. So this is talking about Joshua is the one that took them into the promised land. Joshua is a type and picture of Jesus who is the only person who can take us into our promised land. So that's why it's controversial, because in the King James it says Jesus, and in the newer versions it says Joshua. But the point of the verse is, they got into, those, those people were taken into the promised land. Did they have rest? The, everything we've been seeing, they won't enter into my rest. They won't because of unbelief, they're not going to enter in. When they entered into the promised land, just like us believing on Jesus and Jesus takes us through the Jordan and into the promised land, is everything perfect and we have nothing to worry about anymore? No. We enter into a rest, but it's a rest only we know inside of us. Because the first thing that they had to do was fight Jericho. They had all these nations they had to subdue. It was work. It was dangerous. It was battles. They had to not do things. When they destroyed Jericho, they didn't destroy it. They just walked around the walls. And God destroyed the walls. They had to believe. It made no sense to, the, to, a, to a logically thinking person a military, a great military leader, Joshua would come to them and say, this is how we're supposed to take Jericho. And that great military leader would go, this is your plan? Well, no, it's not my plan. It's God's plan. Well, I hope that military leader was a believer because if he thought it was Joshua's plan, he would say, Joshua, you are not a good leader for, this, for our people. You need to step down. But if he believed, he would say, oh, God said this. Well, if God said this, then I guess we should do it. But it made no sense to a human. You know, the gospel is foolishness to those of the world. But those who believe, it is what we have to have to get salvation. It makes perfect sense to those who believe. So, if you enter into your promised land... You're confident in the rest that is coming. Jesus has gone to heaven. He's working on a place for you to live. And He's coming back one day to get you to take you there. Like any good husband would do. We are the bride of Christ. We are, we are uh, in that... We're, we're legally, when we believed on Him, we're legally married to Him, just like Joseph was legally married to Mary, even though they hadn't consummated the marriage yet. And he, they didn't know each other until after Jesus was born. So we're in that betrothal period with Jesus right now. We're called the bride of Christ. We're, we're, we're being proved out in that betrothal period. We know He's going to make, make a place for us, and He's going to come back to get us. And we live this life pure because we have to say pure, stay pure as the bride of Christ for Him. And if you're not pure 
then he will not consummate the marriage. It won't happen. So what is your purity based on? You staying in the faith and believing that he's done it all for you and that he's going to prepare a place for you and he's coming back to get you one day. And that's when we will get the true rest when we are with him in that heavenly place. For there remaineth therefore, this is verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. So even though they entered into the promised land, there remaineth that rest that I've been trying to explain to you all this time. For he that entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. It was done. After the six days, it was done. And God rested. We need to, we need to rest in the fact that Jesus did it all. That's how, we, that's how we honor God today in resting. Even though they might come and get us and torture us, try to get us to renounce our faith in Jesus, and we're being beaten and bruised and even killed, we have this, we're, just, we're in His rest. None of that bothers us because to die is to be with Him. But if we're allowed to live, it's just go out and get more disciples for him. Paul said, it, it doesn't matter. Kill me? Awesome. But if not, I'll keep doing what God wants me to do. We need to have that same attitude. As long as he's leaving us here, we need to go out and do the things that God wants us to do, even if it means being killed. And if we get killed, we're jumping for joy. You're going to kill me? Awesome. I get to go be with Jesus right now. That's the way we're supposed to be if we're truly in the rest that God has provided for us. 11. Let us... Now, talk about uh, no works, no works, no works. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Isn't that funny? Let us labor... That means you have, you do, you're not expected to sit around and do absolutely nothing. We have been freed from all the things that keep us from doing things for God so that now we can labor, therefore, to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the example of unbelief. For because the Word of God is quick or alive, and powerful, that means it's doing something, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Sometimes we humans have a hard time seeing the difference between soul and spirit. Your soul, and it's used, unfortunately, it's used interchangeably amongst religious people. Your soul is what needs to be saved. Your soul does. The only reason that we know that is because our spirit can have relationship with God. We, we have a spirit that gives us this consciousness of there is a God in heaven. And that's the only way we can know that our souls need to be saved. Our bodies, 
are going to go to the grave. You can fight that all you want, but it's a waste of time. Cameron, I hope he doesn't listen to this. He's a little chunky. He's got a you know, pretty good belly on him. He, and he was talking about bodily exercise profiteth little, and that's his favorite verse in the Bible. And then I laughed, because he's telling everybody. He's reading, and he said, bodily exercise profiteth little. He said, that's my favorite verse in the Bible. And I laughed, and he was, he gives, he gives me this look. He looks at me like, why is that funny? So, so when we go into the jail, we got to go through this metal detector. And every time he goes through it, it beeps, and they got to wand him. You know, take the wand. And every time I walk through, it never beeps. Never. And he's like, ah, you, you never make the thing go off. So sometimes he'll go, I guess it's, I guess it's, the, it's these abs of steel. <laughs> and the guard, you know, got the wand, getting ready to wand it. He said, yeah, it's, it's got to be the abs of steel. And the guard starts laughing, and he does the same thing to the guard. Why are you laughing? Especially if it's a female guard. If they, cause they'll, they'll laugh every time he says that. It's got to be these abs of steel that makes this thing go off. And they'll laugh, and uh, why are you laughing? That just came to my mind. Sorry. So the soul is the mind, will, and emotions. It makes you who you are different than everybody else. That's your soul. It is different. And the Word of God... This Bible separates that. But nobody can see your soul, actually see it, but they see it in the way you are. That's how you see it. We're, we are worshiping and following Jesus who we can't see. The nation of Israel had all kinds of magnificent things that they could see in the temple the priest and all of the glory that went with it, all of the feast days, all of those things that they could look at and, and get a hold of, and they were so tempted to go back to those old ways because it was something they can see. But that you got to stay with, if you was to turn from simple childlike faith in Jesus and go back to that, you have left the faith. And this book of Hebrews tells us that there's a danger that we could do that. I don't know how. And, and it basically will get back to were you really truly saved to start with? Because you never really know if somebody truly is born again. You can make a judgment that they are, and if someone comes to you and says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven and He cleansed me of my sin. You have to accept Him as a believer and a born-again child of God. You have to, because they said the right things. But the Bible warns us over and over that there are plenty that will come and tell you that that are false. And if they do turn away, then you know they were false. But until then, you've got to treat them like everybody, every other believer. The Word of God is what's going to separate them. This verse right here. For the Word of God is quick, it's alive, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. 
Now, the joints are what we can see. You're moving around. But the marrow, which is extremely important, is what's on the inside. That's what's on the inside that we can't see. We can see what people do on the outside. You ever, you ever wondered why that's in, in that verse? And I've, I've explained the separating of the soul and the spirit, but have I ever explained uh, and of the joints and marrow? Have you ever heard me explain that? The joints and the marrow? The joints are what you see people do. That's the physical part of your body that people are doing all the right things. But what's the marrow like? The things you can't see. What's the real purpose of them doing what they do? Why does the person come to church? Why do they say all the right things and memorize certain verses? But the marrow is going to really show you in the end. And the Word of God not just shows, it divides what you actually do physically from what the uh, purpose behind it is. Because the marrow is what's inside of the bones and makes the bones alive and do what they do. I hope that makes sense. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Word of God is going to, at the end of it all, that is what's going to determine what you really, truly are. Are you a believer or just pretending to be one? The Word of God, that's why I have so many people don't like reading the Word of God. They want to have a Bible and they'll carry it around, but they actually don't want to read it because when they do, they realize the Bible is reading them. It's doing exactly what verse 4, 12 says it will do. 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. You're not, you might be tricking all kinds of people, but you're not tricking God. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. Or, that word fast, in the, in the, in, it's, it's where we get the word fastener, where you nail something to and it's fastened. So hold fast. You've got to have a real good grip on these things of God. Let us hold fast our profession for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So our high priest, see, at, when we were over in chapter 3 last week, we talked about him, him being uh, the apostle and the high priest. That was the ver very first verse of chapter 3. Consider the Apostle, capital A Apostle, and High Priest of our profession, Jesus, Christ Jesus. Here we are at the end of it. For we have not an High Priest which cannot be touched 
with the feeling of our infirmity. God would not be able to understand, but he came down. God was manifest in the flesh. He came down to this earth as a baby, grew up as a child, went through adolescence, went through being a young adult, into adulthood. He He understood every single thing that you go through in your life. He is a perfect high priest. He went through all those temptations. He, had to, he got tired. He got hungry. He had all these people that were after him, wanting to get to him. He, he understands, and he was tempted and never sinned, became a perfect sacrifice. So because of that, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that awesome? Awesome verse. Because Jesus was our apostle, and he was our high priest, he is able to connect us. This, these last three verses and four kind of go right in. It really kind of goes with, with chapter five, which, don't worry, I'm not going to go there. We're, we're, done. we're almost done. But those are setting up chapter 5, those three verses. How are we able to go directly to the throne of grace? It's because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus is the reason we can go to the throne. You know, there was a, a story... I actually shared this at uh, Fred's graveside funeral. Um, you know, we had that service here. Most of us were here for that. But when we got, went to the graveside, I shared a story of a little boy over in England many, many years ago when there was a king in, at the castle. And this boy was part of the commoners. He was just a poor family boy. And his family was going through lots of struggles. And he made up his mind that he was going to run away and go to London so that he could find the king and tell the king all about the troubles that the people faced back in the rural areas. So he started walking. He packed a bag. He started walking. He would jump on the back of a wagon, and he did everything he could to get to London. And he finally gets to London after all this hard travel, this little tiny boy. No way that his parents would have let him go by himself. So he snuck off and he went. He gets into London, he finds the castle, and he walks up, and he's there to see the king. And he walks up to the gates, and the guards were there, and they kept pushing him away. He's like, get out of here, kid, get out of here. And he, everywhere he went, he's like, I, I came all this way to see the king. And everywhere he went, he was turned away. And he started to cry, and he turned and started walking down the street, And this fine, very well-dressed young man walks up and says, Little boy, what seems to be the problem? And and he told him the whole deal of what was going on back home and all the hardship that they were in. And he came to see the king, and everywhere he went, people turned him away. He could not get to the king. And the man took him by the hand, 
and walked up, and the guards just stood back, and the gates opened up, and he walked right in. And everywhere this man took him, they just stood back, and they opened it up, and the man marched him all the way up to the very throne. There's the king. That man was the prince of Wales, the king's very son. Under our own efforts, we can never get to that throne. But until we meet the Prince of Peace, who can take us directly to the Father, we would never be able to get there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son so that he can be our Apostle, he can be our High Priest, that he can take us directly to the throne of grace. Father, we don't need anyone else to connect us with you because we have Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.